Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Hello and welcome to the Amplify podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert, Amplify producer at Nottingham Playhouse. I'm once again holed up in my makeshift bedroom studio, having a series of interesting conversations with exciting theatre folk. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Amplified Podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert and today I'm joined by marvellous theatre director Nancy Medina. How are you doing, Nancy? Hey, Craig. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, how is uh, Thursday afternoon treating you? It's okay. I'm looking forward to the weekend though, but it's good. <laughs> Well, like I said, we're just going to have a, a conversation uh, about career and process. So um, to kick off, uh, where are you from, Nancy? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm from New York City originally. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Grew up there most of my life. Had a, a small little stint uh, for about four or five years in the Dominican Republic, which is where my family's from. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm first generation American, basically. And yeah, yeah, Brooklyn, New York, uh, it was my home for a very long time. And I've been living here in the UK for 13 years now, <laughs> which is unbelievable. <laughs> are there uh, arts or theatre people in your family, Nancy, or are you the, you the first one? Uh, no, definitely not. I think I think all my family are performers. <laughs> they're not on stage, but they're definitely performers. <laughs> um, no, I, I come from a really like great like storytelling, you know, family. Like really great dancers. Um, my brother's actually a visual artist. He's a sculptor, and my dad was a professional dancer um, for a very long time until he had us all of us kids. But um, yeah, there, there's there's always been some kind of form of art in my family. It's never been for money, though. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of it has been just for pleasure and the fact that there are very talented people in my family. And when did your interest in, um, in the theatre start? Oh, I always joke about this. So like, I, I, I like to entertain when I was little. I was very um, energetic let's say (laughs) and I would like dance for family members and put on little shows and whatnot so when it came to those kind of opportunities in school like you know to be able to do the storytelling contest I definitely wanted to be involved in it but I actually really wanted to be an artist like my brother like I wanted to be an illustrator because he was like my hero when I was growing up and when I went to high school I remember applying for their art program um and drawing like I think they made you draw like a piano or whatever and then when we got the paperwork about being accepted it said I was part of the theater department (laughs) and I was like was I that bad that they were like no way let's just put this girl in theater so I mean I thought okay I like doing that too (laughs) and I didn't know what I really wanted to do but I was like okay this is cool I'll, I'll do that so I kind of just did drama. <laughs> um, and so that was um, that was your first exposure to it, was it the uh, doing the theatre programme at your high school? No, I did. Um, so so my family, I'm, I'm the youngest of five, and um, my parents worked a lot, and my dad had like a lot of different jobs. So summer vacations was really difficult for childcare. So although I was like a really good student, 
Um, my parents still put me in summer school because it was kind of childcare. So at summer school as well, I had a really great teacher, Mr. Kalish, who made us do plays. And I remember doing, um, uh, what was it? Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting now the Tennessee Glass Menagerie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the mother. Laura, I think is her name. Anyway, and I was playing the mom and <laughs> I loved it because, you know, I'm, I'm playing a drunk and I'm playing it really, really badly. I'm, I'm about like 12 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, and I remember like I kicked my foot, you know, up in the air and my shoe went flying into the audience and there was like a gasp and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And I think from then on, I was kind of hooked, you know, in the sense of like theater is something fun. I didn't really know until like high school, you know, more about like Broadway plays and stuff like that. And and I really do remember the first few plays that totally blew my mind. Um, Lost in Yonkers is one of them Mm -hmm. by Neil Simon. And this was like in the 90s when, you know, people still dressed up for the theater. And it was a big deal when your school took you on a school trip. You're like, you had to be on your best behavior and dress nicely and blah, blah, blah. And I remember seeing that performance and I, it was, um, it was not Mercedes Brule. It was Lucy Arnaz. I think it was like a change. Uh, and Lucy Arnaz was in it and I just thought she was fabulous. And I just like, I don't know, it, it was just that moment, you know, when the lights go down and you're completely immersed in this world in front of you and you believe everything that's just transpired and you're like so invested in the stakes of the play. And that play really just transformed me in so many ways of like, wow, something amazing is possible on these stages. And can you remember the point where, after you've fallen in love with the art form, was there a point where you were like, you know what, yes, I am going to dedicate my life to this and pursue a career in the theatre? When did that come about? Um, I think that there's like two different points. I think I think I got a lot of light bulb moments, but nothing really triggered until much later. Um, but I think... a. a one light bulb moment um, was I was a part of um, the Creative Arts uh, Youth Theater, which was back then part of the Gallatin School at NYU. It's now, oh gosh, I, oh, I, can't, I think it's now with Pace. Ooh, I don't know where, <laughs> who they're with at the moment, um, but it's a creative um, uh, arts team. And it was run by Helen uh, White and Chris Vine. And um, they basically held a weekly session. It was every Tuesday and it was in Manhattan and it was for, you know, high school students from all the boroughs. So I actually got the application form from my high school and how to apply for it. And they they ran sessions that were very much based on um, Augusto Boal's kind of like theater for the oppressed and mm-hmm. devised theater. So it was a bunch of us inner city kids basically learning <laughs> really, really good stuff about theater and actually how to express ourselves mm. through theater. Um, and I didn't realize it then, obviously. I, I, a lot of times you don't realize the power um, that you're you're given. Um, and it, it changed my life. <laughs> I mean, my best friends are all from this program. I mean, our most famous alum is Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is hysterical. Like, he's just skyrocketed. But we were all part of this group that just did wonderful things to just empower us and give us space and let us be ourselves. Um, I've never really been a part of anything else like it. Um, and then my other kind of light bulb moment um, was... Also, through my high school, this practitioner named Kelly came in, and she was a writer, 
and she took us on, a, you know, she took our class uh, to a off off Broadway fringe show that she had written. And it was amazing because it was actually the first show I'd really seen that wasn't Broadway. Yeah. Um, and it was all about her life. Like she had been in a mental uh, institution when she was younger and it was all about the characters that she met there. Um, transgender characters, just really, you know, dysfunctional family issues. Lots of stuff was happening in this play. And I thought, oh my God, these people are real. Like I know these people. And mm -hmm. it kind of made a connection for me. Like, whereas the Lost in Yonkers was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, the set and the acting and all of this stuff. And the fact that I believed in these circumstances. But what her play did for me was actually, it made me think, oh, anybody can do this. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to be from a certain family or have certain connections or do whatever. Like you can actually put on real stories on stage. So I think those two light bulb moments for me really made me kind of think, oh, this might be something I can do. Like the creative arts team really helped me put a voice to a lot of the things I had been thinking or experiencing uh, growing up in New York City. And then that moment really helped me see that people do this. And from then, a bunch of members of the of the creative arts team, we created a theater company when we were 17, which is just crazy. Like, and so we rented these little spaces off, off Broadway fringe spaces and fundraised and created our own plays and stuff. And for a really long time, we did that like for about two years. And then at some point we realized that we needed a bit of leadership because <laughs> we did everything ourselves. So yeah. we were writing, we were acting, we were producing, we were kind of like directing each other type of thing. And I remember there was a show that we were doing at the Washington um, Washington Methodist Church in the village, and it was called Festive But Tense. And oh my God, it was so tense because it was a mess. Like it was just such a mess that finally I decided to step out and not act in it, and I was just going to direct it, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason was because I was the most organized. <laughs> it was really <laughs> the only reason, not because I even really understood what directing was. It was just because. Somebody had to deal with the flyers. Somebody had to deal with this. So I was director, producer, everything. And I loved that experience. And the way that everything shifted once we had one person <laughs> in charge um, was amazing because people were able to do their jobs. <laughs> people were just able to you know, focus on what they needed to focus on. And I love thinking about the whole picture of everything. I really loved you know, how sound was incorporated in what we were doing and how mm. the lights affected the mood and the environment. And yeah, and I think since then is really when I kind of knew, yeah, I like directing. <laughs> You've got this uh, uh, theatre company at the, age, at the age of 17. And was the plan at that point, like, we're just going to do this forever. We're going to make our shows and we're going to be, you know, a theatre co collective together for the long term? Or did you always have uh, designs on uh, going to train and um, uh, in a you know, higher education college, university environment? Uh, what, what was the plan at that point? I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, I think if maybe we did have more of a plan, we'd probably still be together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it was just something that we all really love to do. And it was an amazing way of expressing ourselves. I mean, I still think it's some of the best writing um, I've ever encountered, the stuff that came out of that group, because some of it was just you know, very much to the, the way that we were growing up and the political issues that we were all facing um, in New York in the 90s and early 2000s and stuff. But yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, 
is it from uh, that experience where uh, where you first step out of this ensemble that you've created to be the uh, the lead artist, I suppose, the director? Uh, is that when you uh, you really decided, okay, this is the bit I'm going to go after. This is what I'm going to do. And if that's the case, what were what were the next steps for you? No, I I was so misguided for so long because I I still thought like I wanted to be a performer as, as well. I, I think that what's really interesting, I think it wasn't until like. 23 that I then decided okay I think directing is my thing I think for a while I was like oh this is something interesting to do um I still want to do the acting thing I went to Emerson College in Boston um and I thought I wanted to do film as well so I thought I wanted to be a film director because Martin Scorsese was my favorite director at the time and Taxi Driver is still one of my favorite favorite films of all time there's there's something that always comes to like the gritty New York that I grew up with (laughs) that um brings me back to the you know the stories I want to tell and um I went to this school and then I just realized that like at the time Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino were really really popular and I realized that everybody just wanted to be copies of them mm-hmm. and I thought oh god this is so boring and I also didn't like a lot of the people I was uh studying with I mean it was the first time really being outside of New York City and also in a very rich environment. Like Emerson is a very expensive school and there were a lot of rich kids in this school. And I just felt really alienated. And I also mm. felt like I just come from this group, this amazing group where we're all like giving our hearts to, to the art, you know, to the work. And here's everybody just trying to make money and just trying not to be original but just copy mm. the, the thing that's popular at the moment. And it really turned me off. It really turned me off from film, turned me off from theater as well, and to even thinking about directing. So I just kind of let it go. And, and I left that school and came back to New York and just worked for a while. And then after a year and a half, you know, to please my mom, <laughs> I did go back to another university, right. which, was Bing- which was Binghamton University. Um, and at Binghamton, that actually reignited my love of theater again. And I remember we did um, Eve Ensler's Vagina Monologues. And it was co-directed by myself and my friend Dana Bennett. And we just had such a blast. We got like 13 uh, actors involved. And we really made some bold and original like choices. You know, like, it's just one of those, you know, moments when you're working where you don't think about anyone else's opinion, you're just kind of having all this fun creating work with like amazing people. So you're never thinking of the product or the end result. And it just turned out so good. And that was when one of the professors was like, you should really think about directing. (laughs) And yeah, I think probably from there that, that would definitely be where my, my focus shifted. I ask everyone this question because the uh, the listeners to this uh, podcast are uh, majoritively uh, emerging artists, people pursuing a career in the theatre. Uh, and obviously, um, you're talking about uh, a really exciting, enriching experience whilst training. Uh, and obviously, over the last year, you know, people haven't been able to get into a room and, and work uh, and find out about their practice in a practical sense. So I just wonder, were there any... Uh, particular books or resources that were important to you around the uh, the time you began your exploration of directing? I'm trying to see if I can see it on my shelf. It's Zen in the Art of Archery. <laughs> Such a good book. Um, yeah, it's Zen in the Art of Archery by Eugene Herigel. 
And it has nothing to do with acting, but has everything to do with acting and art. And I can't actually I keep meaning to reread this. But books, I, I'm, I'm not very well read. So I'm not really good at recommending <laughs> things like that. But I think what helped me out was just constantly going for it, like constantly just uh, going for whatever experience presented itself. So I think this is why it's hard for me to answer that question of when did I know? Because yeah. I actually never really thought that I would be doing this. Like, I didn't think that that was a career for me. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought this is something great that I love to do. This art stuff, this doesn't happen to kids like me. You know, like, we, we don't get careers like this. Like, I'm always going to have to have a backup. So I did. Like, even though in Binghamton, I did theater. I did it as a minor. I did Spanish mm-hmm. literature as my major. Right. Because I thought at one point I wanted to be a translator or just, you know, whatever, teach. Um, So it it was never, ever like a thing where I I meet a lot of young directors here and they're on it. You know, they're trying to get their assistant director jobs and they're really, you know, researching all of the different theaters and artistic directors. I just never did that stuff because I honestly didn't I didn't bang on on me being a theater director. Like Mm. I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. But I ended up doing real estate while I did theater on the side with my company. (laughs) So I was a leasing manager for eight years in New York. And that's how I made my money and was able to pay my rent. And then I did fringe theater on the side. So I think really for me, you know, becoming a professional theater director happened really late in life because I, I, I never let that be the only thing where it's so different now because I do a lot of workshops, um, and I mentor quite a lot of young directors, and that seems to be their sole focus. And that's so exciting, actually, for that to be their sole focus. I probably, you know, as you mentioned, like the pandemic and this last year without um, proper training and being able to really be in spaces with people has, you know, significantly affected who gets to stay in this industry or not. Um, I think a lot of people have probably had to make a choice of, of leaving or delaying um, or figuring out what they're going to do to pay their rent. And that's, that's real. You know, like I, I was so lucky that I got this um, bursary from the National Theater last year because, you know, the, this bursary, which for the first time in my life, I'm actually being given money for my art, right? This is just, I would have never thought this was possible. Like someone's actually giving me money so I can do something to develop my art. And I'm like, oh, great. I've got to spend it on bills. <laughs> I've got to survive. I've got to stay in the industry. But, you know, I, I joke about it, but I am so grateful for that because that is actually what I needed to do. I needed to not like give up hope and just know that, okay, this, this year, year and a half, whatever is going to pass and I can pay my bills and yeah. And, and, you know, I'll get through it. So I was really, really lucky. And are, and are you now, uh, do you now have uh, work that is uh, beginning as we emerge from um, uh, from the, uh, the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I've spoken to so many different people, um, especially like, you know, during the first lockdown where everybody was like, oh my God, there's nothing to do. I'm so bored. I'm just baking all the time. And I was like, I, I never stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I always had something to do because I also have two children as well. So yeah. we had homeschooling to do. We had, you know, just a, a new structure to get on with. I also teach quite a lot. I've, I've just um, co-launched um, the Bristol School of Acting. I'm co-artistic director of that, which is going to officially launch in September. It's two BA courses for acting for screen and then 
acting for uh, stage and screen. It's, I've never stopped. <laughs> There's always been something to do. And, and, and I've been teaching online as well, which has been really, really difficult um, because no drama student wants to be learning online. Um, so there's been just tons of stuff um, that's had to be done this year. I just have two questions about that. Um, I uh, I also have children. Uh, so um, how did your children take to their new teacher, who is also their mum? My oldest, who's about to be nine, um, it was really difficult with him, um, especially because he has um, additional needs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was allowed to go back to school at the beginning but because it's difficult with transitions for him we decided not to we decided to just keep him home because obviously when lockdown happened nobody knew what was going to happen we didn't you know we didn't know what the classes were going to be like blah blah blah. so we kept them home and to be honest it was a real struggle because although i teach i teach you know 16 to 19 year olds and i teach 20 year olds at different drama schools i don't teach primary school kids and also, I just didn't know, like, how they they section off the day. So I was spending too much time on a certain subject, or there are certain things where I had to teach myself before I taught my kid. The <laughs> attention, and I just felt totally disrespected most of the day, because I was like, I bet you don't do this to your teacher. I bet, I bet you're totally listening to your teacher, and not to me. Um, but it was fine, you know. I, I, I decided to, you know, just be kind to myself, because I started out with a really you know, good strict schedule, like, oh, this is what our day is going to be like. And then it ended up being like, okay, we're just going for a really long two hour walk today. <laughs> and we're just going to do a little bit of forest school type yeah. thing. And I, 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 I gave up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find myself in the exact same situation. I was like, I was, you know, I thought, oh, well, this this is going to be it's probably going to be fun, actually. And then, like, pretty much immediately, I myself turned into a 10 year old again in that I was just desperate to go outside. I was like, oh, God, when can we go outside? Um, <laughs> we did spend a lot of time outside. And we were so lucky, too, that first lockdown because the weather was just so good. Yeah. And again, another I, I also feel lucky because I live in Bristol. I am 20 minutes away from hills, like, you know, 20 minute walk. We're in some countryside. It's actually kind of nice. You know, you don't even have to drive anywhere in your countryside. So, so tell me, um, tell me about Bristol, because you did your uh, MA in theatre directing uh, at Bristol, right? Yeah. What was it that prompted your uh, decision to come to the UK to pursue the um uh, further training as a director? Well, it wasn't that. It was a man. It was my husband. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so my husband is, is from Somerset, and he does a lot of natural history um, uh, projects. He's a sound designer, which is why we're based in Bristol. It's the home of natural history, really. Yeah, so that that was the main reason why I came. But I, uh, you know how earlier I said I'm not that well-read? <laughs> I'm really not. So when I came here, I was like, oh, my God, I, everybody knows all these things about Shakespeare and these classics, and I'm not going to know anything. And that was really the reason why I applied to the Bristol Lake Theater School, because I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get learned. <laughs> I gotta know what other people know, and just figure out what this directing thing really means. Because for the most part, before coming here, everything I had done um, had been, you know, producing it myself. Uh, from my first company, I had another company called the Regroup Theater with Dana Bennett and Patricia Runcie, and that was amazing because we actually. <clears throat> Um, developed uh, co-productions with a company in Santa Monica in California. So we were doing really well, and then I moved here. Um, so it, so I just felt like, okay, I just need to go and get educated. 
And what was great about the Brasovic Theater School was it was a very hands-on program in the sense that it was the first time I'd assisted ever. Like I never mm-hmm. really saw like what another director did. And um, they, they did a lot of placements. So I went to uh, Salisbury Playhouse, the New Vic Theater, and Birmingham Rep. So I got a lot of placements as well as, you know, assistant director things. So it just really helped me figure out one, like what do, what professional theaters actually do? I didn't really know. And I didn't actually know the names of a lot of things or like what people call this job or that job. Also, because they differ slightly from, from America. Yeah. You know, like a DSM, like we don't really have that. (laughs) You know, we don't have that in America. So it was so important actually to just get that confidence of understanding the lay of the land and actually understanding what like the theatrical language is here and culture is in the UK because it's you know it's it's it varies from place to place but it was really good for me to to just feel confident that now I knew what that was about or that I can exist in these spaces and still be myself that was really important to me because one of the things I found when I um you know left the Bristolvic Theatre School is that it gave me networking and connections but it also made me understand that I, I, I already knew what I was doing <laughs> and I'm not going to, yeah. I, I don't want to no, sound no, I, like. I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you about that because like, um, obviously you spent a lot of time, uh, you know, making work and being the lead artist in America. And then you come and was it, was it a bit odd being an assistant considering you'd never done it, but also you'd, you'd made a lot of work. It was so weird. It, it, it was weird, but it was great at the same time because I was just able to observe. I was like, okay, okay, this, so this is how this person speaks to these people. Okay, I, I, it was just a really great chance for me to step back and actually relax a little bit because I'd always been the lead on everything. Um, so it was a really good opportunity to do that. But I think the things that I felt, um, you know, really down on myself about of like, oh, I'm not educated enough or I don't know enough. What I realized was that I know how to tell a story and I know Mm. how to speak to actors. Like that's one thing that I I feel is one of the strengths of my directing. I really feel I'm an actor's director because I did acting for so long. I'm Meisner trained. I like, yeah, I, I deal with very vulnerable subjects as well. So I, I really hold actors uh, to high regard, but also feel like I can hold a room. And that was great to, to have that confidence in myself and realize that, that, you know, the educational thing that I was trying to achieve was really not that important because that's actually not me. That's not me as a director. All the experience I had grafting, you know, and just yeah. doing all like the dirty hard work. That's actually what made me a really good director, not the education stuff. Uh, and you said that, um, that doing that MA enabled you to see the difference uh, between uh, theatre culture here and in the States. Could you have a go at summing up what that difference is? Well, some of it has to do with actor training, obviously, and that's something yeah. I'm involved with quite a lot. Um, and that, I mean... Yeah, I think that there's there's something about um, analyzing uh, theater that is very different here. I think that, you know, we do go brain-wise quite a lot. We're thinking with our brains. And I think in America, there's more of a sense of, of going for the heart um, and feeling things. And this you always hear 
you know, you can always tell like how, what, what, what an actor is like by how they're talking about their work, you know, like I think, or I feel, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm generalizing a bit here, but there is something in that, that there, and, and I think what I've really loved is marrying the two. Yeah. And I think that you have to be able to think and interrogate, you know, your work um, and ask really important questions about your work. But then you also have to be able to be gutsy and risk and make, you know, uh, bold choices, which come from how you feel about something, not how you think about something. So I think marrying those two things um, has been really beneficial to me, actually, um, because I, I'm, yeah, I interrogate work in a way that I never did back home now. Um, and that's such a strength for me. Um, and there's something, uh, so I'm always fascinated by and really excited by um, uh, n- uh, new American plays, and I think, um, well, um, obviously, I'll I'll ask you, and you may well disagree with me, but I think the new writing uh, scene in America, uh, and particularly uh, in New York, is it just feels so much more um, fecund and exciting than our new plays here. And do you think that's a difference in, well, us being too thinky? Well, if you, if you agree, or is it perhaps just me, uh, you know, excited by the lure of uh, exoticism in that I'm not part of that world in any way? I don't know. I, I do think that there is something um, about theatre here that just kind of steps back a bit rather mm. than steps forward into issues. And I think that there is uh, and I think that's something about safety. Like I must be able to interrogate this completely before I put this on the stage or mm. I must be able to understand this completely. Whereas I think in America, we don't always do that. We don't always think things through. Um, and I think that there is there is it's just really hot right now in America and especially in New York City. I mean, I, I was I was just there and, and the energy is intense. I think the pandemic has really hit it in in. Um, in a way that I haven't seen that energy uh, since the 90s, really. Uh, there was like a, a real kind of sense of danger and despair amongst people. Um, and I think that there's something, because also the, the financial schemes in which we work, where uh, the UK is Arts Council funded and you know the government funds uh, a lot of work here, and in America, we don't. <laughs> it, mm. it really is about kind of fundraising for yourself. I think like with my theater company, because we always had to do it ourselves, we didn't have to answer to anybody. You know, there's not yeah. an application I have to do. There's not somebody I have to please. And I think that there is a sense of that, that unfortunately, because of that financial circumstance, you probably do get some playwrights that will be a bit riskier because they're really getting into some hot topics and and they don't have to prove anything. They're just really wanting to talk about the things that they need to talk about. Um I guess that would be my, my my thinking on that right now. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that there are some really amazing artists here in the UK that are pushing buttons. Are they being produced at? Yeah, it's a uh, um, and obviously I was uh, I was massively generalizing with my comment. But That's all right, um, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I do it too. <laughs> Uh, after the MA, uh, how did you uh, how did you then take your first step to building a career here in the UK? It's so funny because I had my first child in 2012, and then uh, 2013 was when I started the MA program. So he <laughs> was 11 months old, and it was just like it was insane. It was just insane having such a small baby and then going into that 
into into that MA. But you know, as I as I said, it really did help with um, contacts and networking. And I won um, the Emerging Directors Prize from Tobacco Factory Theater at the end of 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 our year of our course, and I was able to produce a play with them. And then from then on, and I had already been doing before the MA, I had already been doing freelance theater directing work here. I, I produced and directed my first two plays here in Bristol on my own because that is how I know that's how I knew how to do things. And yeah. funny enough, the second show that I had done called Headlines, which was all about the headlines of 2011, and I commissioned three writers from the UK and three writers from uh, the US to talk about those headlines. Like that was actually the show that did get me some attention here and was reviewed by, you know, different local papers and things. And that ended up kind of just spiraling me meeting a few more people in Bristol and Bath, then the MA. And then after the MA, like once you have the Bristol Lit Theater School kind of on your CV, you do get noticed a bit more. You know, it's, it, it is unfortunately that thing where all of a sudden it doesn't matter how much work I've done before, but I've got a legit name that people recognize and, oh, okay, no, we know, we, we respect that place. So, okay, we'll, we'll give this person a chance. And it wasn't until, and, and then I continued, you know, doing my freelance stuff. And it wasn't until I applied for the Young Vic Genesis Future uh, Directors Award um, but then things really started opening up for me. And that, <laughs> I applied for that after I'd had my second child. <laughs> and he was six weeks old, I think, when I went to go do the interview for that. And, like, I had him in my carrier. <laughs> he was in my ergo <laughs> um, in the interview. And I remember, like, he started crying. He'd been so good the whole day. Like we took the trip out to London. He'd been so good. And as soon as I get into the room, he starts crying. I have to get him out and put him on my knee while I'm answering all these questions from David Land. <laughs> but that was, that was an amazing experience. Like I, I, I did yellow man by Dale Orlando Smith. Yeah. And I loved working with Daisy Heath, who's a producer. I loved working with David Land. I loved working at the Young Vic. They were just so generous and supportive. And Sue Emma was like, they were all just so supportive of me as a mom in theater. Um, and and it, all, it also was that recognition. Again, like I felt very much that they felt like I knew what I was doing. And it, and it really dawned on me that I'm so much older than a lot of people, right? And I was getting all of these emerging future awards, which I'm, you know, I'm so grateful I've gotten all of them, but it felt like, wow, I've been emerging for 20 years. <laughs> like, like when, when, when do I get to just say, I'm a theater director? <laughs> like when, when does yeah. this happen? Um, so I'm not even negating all the awards because I'm so grateful for them, but it did feel like at a certain point where people are just like, actually, yeah, you know, she, she knows what she's doing. We can, we can leave her be. And the young Vic really did that. I, I just felt so much trust in me by them. Was there a point where you where you felt like, oh yeah, I'm 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 just a theatre director now? <laughs> Maybe I'm getting there now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm getting there because after after the Young Vic uh, Award, I got another one, the RTST Sir Peter Hall Award, which what helped me actually go into get into mid scale theatre. Yeah, and so that's when I did August Wilson's Two Trains Running, and that was. Um, that was great because that, that show toured and that was an experience I didn't have. Um, mm -hmm. I had kind of done small Southwest tours here, but again, me handling a lot of that stuff myself. So it was really great to, to really work with a production manager and understand what that was like. And I think, yeah, I think that year 
because I had so many shows back to back. I just felt like a director, which is great. And obviously now, even during the pandemic, as I said, I've just been super busy. I've been doing lots of R&Ds on Zoom. And now it feels really good. You know, I've got a lot of my, you know, next year and a half really kind of planned out. It's still like a, a, a jigsaw, though, because you know how all the theaters are opening up and now it's like, oh, everybody wants you at the same time and the same dates. So it's just kind of figuring out availabilities and stuff. But it's amazing to feel like I've got the work uh, coming up. And uh, if we can just switch focus for a moment and talk about process, what does the first week in your rehearsal room look like? I think I'm pretty old fashioned uh, in the sense of like, I love really kind of digging into the play and the historical context of things. Um, yeah, historical context is really important. Um, and, and also kind of looking, uh, really starting to define the lens that we're looking at the play. You know, mm-hmm. the first day will always be, you know, the read-through. I think you always get the read-through out of the way. And um, a lot of the, the work I, I deal with is normally really sensitive and traumatic and vulnerable. And so I, I do have mental health conversations um, that I've started to do for the last two and a half years because what I have found is that the work is very triggering um, mm-hmm. to all people involved. So that, and I have not felt very supported for many years uh, with theaters on that side of things. It's kind of like you and the, and the stage manager are kind of alone <laughs> in a room yeah. dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. And a lot of heavy stuff has happened in my experience. And I've always been able to handle it, but it takes its toll. So I've kind of learned, you know, different things to just put out there early on so that everybody feels as safe and secure as possible. And it just minimizes certain, you know, unsatisfactory events, you know. Um, So the first week is, yeah, just us really kind of interrogating the play. One thing that I do pretty much always is I do a feeding in process. So... We will read through the play the first day, but then through the rest of the week, what we're doing, you know how like you can, you can sit at a table and go through the scene and talk about it, but I'd rather mm. that they get up on their feet <laughs> yeah. and they are fed the lines so yeah. they don't have to be yeah. thinking about, you know, or looking at the page, but just actually really exploring who's in the room and what's happening. And then after we've worked on some, then we'll talk about it. And that's been really, really great because it allows people to start feeling very free um, right away with the text and playful with the text right away. So that is something I pretty much always do now. Uh, and when you're when you're doing that uh, feeding in process and the actors are working on their feet, are you working in a, a, a mock-up or markup of the set, or is it just is it complete physical freedom and just trying to uh, explore how the text moves you, I suppose. Yeah, we don't do a markup until the end of the week, really. It's just moving around. It's just like, what mm-hmm. does this space, what, what could this space be? I find it sometimes really difficult that the way that we work is that everything um, with design is done before the rehearsal process. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, because so many discoveries happen in the room. But we do everything beforehand. And I know that we don't have the luxury of like an eight week rehearsal period where then we can, you know, potentially design. Um, I think I think they do that in Greece, which I'm really jealous about. Um, No, it's uh, it's funny you say that. I remember uh, uh, being an assistant director and saying that very thing 
that you just said to the director I was assisting and that director looked at me like I was crazy um, so yeah but it is it's such an odd thing isn't it uh, how, how do you know where it should be before you've had a chance to have a feel of it yeah I know so you kind of have to preempt that in a way when you're and good designers will do that good designers will really be thinking about like what an actor needs and what the character might be needing do they need this window here do they need something there whatever although I have to say most of my 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 sets are really simple and abstract I like I do like simplicity uh, well uh, let's uh, let's just uh, unpick that for a moment because that's really interesting simple and abstract what uh, what are you looking for in a space where a play is going to exist I think for me it's super important to be clear so anything mm -hmm. that gets in the way um, is just messy <laughs> so to me it's about for me, it's about the performance, you know, hands down. It's about the mm. performance because that's how I got into theater. Like I, how I was really moved was by people telling the story to me and how, you know, I grew up with my family telling me stories. So that's that's the most important thing to me is like, how are we telling this story? So everything to do with the design should be uh, empowering that. It should be absolutely supporting how we tell the story. So less is more, I always think. I mean, even with two trains running, which we did have a real set, and the reason why we had a real set was because the it, it all takes place in a cafe in Pittsburgh that is um, uh, in, in danger of being wrecked, right, of, of being yeah. torn down and bought out. And all, all of these um, people that come to this cafe like this is their lifeline this place like this is where they get to talk about politics about their pain about their love about their joys everything so having that cafe was so important to us because it was an extra character but then when you're thinking about it is how are the actors you know um playing with the set you know like how how are they interacting with this space so that we understand that the space is also living and breathing so that that is one exact exception of where we really did have the stuff. But the majority of the time, I just feel like I, I want to I want to activate people's imaginations. I think sometimes when you give too much, it's like you're already telling people what to think. And actually mm. what they just really need to do is think for themselves and yeah. imagine whatever they want to imagine. But we're being clear on the story that we're telling. That's great. Um well I just have one final uh, question for you, Nancy. Uh, the question I always finish with. Can you tell us about the last work of art you saw that absolutely blew your mind? Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, sorry, it's going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, so are you saying theatre or are you saying visual arts? <laughs> um, you can interpret art in any way you see for it. Theatre, visual art, film, anything. All right, I'm going to go for art. <laughs> because yeah. I thought about it instantly when you said it. So um, there's a museum called El Museo del Barrio, which is uh, the museum of the neighborhood in, up in uh, Spanish Harlem in New York. And um, they had uh, an online uh, open exhibition um, and then a kind of Q&A with a few of the artists involved in it. And it's, and it's, a, a, and it's an exhibit that they had in the works for about two, three years, but then the pandemic happened and mm. they have been able to open it up. I didn't actually go see it in person, 
but one of the artists was a Colombian artist and she created this tree that looks like it took up the entire wall space of a giant room. And in this tree, she had names, right? Um, And what's happened in South America um, is with uh, a lot of the climate change um, and eco-activists have been murdered um, Mm. and even more so during the pandemic because no one's caring to look for them. No one's caring about their issues right now. And she had about 2,000 names on that tree. And that's wow. only for one year. And I could not believe that. I could not believe there was... And, and, and she was saying that just as they were installing it, she had to add another name because they had just heard of someone else that had been murdered. So that piece of art really... And I just, and I just saw that online. But uh, that one really affected me because um, obviously no, no one's really talking about it. And, and yeah. Uh, it sounds remarkable. And is that, um, uh, you may not know, but is that still available to view online? It should be because the exhibition is still going on. It just opened uh, at the end of March. So, yeah. Brilliant. Um, that sounds like an, uh, an excellent recommendation. Um, well, Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, no, thank you so much. I hope it all makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. It was brilliant. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this specially recorded episode of the Nottingham Playhouse Playcast Amplify podcast series. To find out more about the Amplify programme or the rest of our work, visit nottinghamplayhouse.co.uk. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all the latest episodes as they're released.